0: Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. PIZZA! Oh! <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. Go to creativepeptalk.com slash newsletter. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and you're able to stack up a bunch of consistent creative practice progress each and every week. Let's get into this episode before I say anything else. Okay, so this is number two in our over-overthinking. If you're over-overthinking and you actually want to start taking some action, doing some stuff before you're ready, before you think you're ready, uh, this series is for you. I My worst freaking nightmare is that Creative Pep Talk doesn't end up being a thing that weekly spurs you on to make stuff and somehow gets in your head of there's a right way to do it, a wrong way to do it. In my point of view, the way I make this podcast, it's very much through kind of a postmodern philosophical lens of, you know, we can't really, we don't really have the tools to know truth, but philosophy is for creating concepts. and, 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 you know, there's this idea Uh, Every framework is a lie, but some of them are useful. When I show up every week with this podcast, the hope is that I throw some ideas at you and something sparks and you go make stuff and you stack another week onto the pile of that's a week where I showed up and I made stuff. That's what this show is all about. And so in an effort to make sure that we are not adding to the voices in your head that are causing you to overthink, we're creating this series. And, uh, and my working definition for this series of overthinking is if you are thinking more than you're doing, if you are spending more thinking about making something than actually making something, you might be an overthinker. Okay, uh, and so that's what this is all about. This episode is exactly what I hope all episodes are, which are prompts. They're not the gospel truth. This isn't me saying this is exactly how one needs to create. No, I don't know. There's a million different ways to get at it. Not only that, there's a million different it's. There's different, there's different destinations that are worthwhile. There's a million ways to get there, okay, I'm going to do an episode. We're going to give you 15 creative prompts that, and, and just see if any of, the, any of these things spark something to go take action. Maybe you take action even while you're listening to the show at the same time if any of these grab you, okay? That's what we're doing. 15 creative prompts to overcome overthinking and actually make something. And I wanted to start by talking about all the reasons not to make something. You know, I've talked about on this show a little bit. My therapist told me about uh, this concept of hypervigilance. Hypervigilance is when you find yourself in a place overthinking, over worrying, excessive planning, excessive planning, planning for every contingency, you know, making sure you're absolutely above reproach in every possible way and nobody could possibly critique or, or, or point out how you did something wrong or were shorter than perfect. Like When you find yourself in that zone, you might be in a state of hypervigilance. Hypervigilance is an effect of an experience of trauma. And it might be micro trauma, it might not be, you know, trauma with a capital T, but I have this feeling in this sense that as creators, we all have these micro experiences of pain. And to try to compensate, we over compensate we overthink things and we do so to the detriment of actually putting pencil to paper paintbrush to easel if you will hopefully you're not painting on the easel unless that's your business maybe you create creative easels but it doesn't seem that great of a business plan (laughs) because you're selling them to painters they can paint their own damn easel anyway i'm overthinking it uh but there when you get into this zone of hypervigilance, I want it to trigger in you a, a a thing that says, "Okay, I'm. There's something going on here. There's some kind of pain I'm trying to avoid. There's. I'm starting to list the millions of reasons not to make something. Everything's been done. It's not original enough. It's too noisy out there. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of materials. It's. You know. There's a billion. There are more reasons." to not make something than there are to make something. That's the sad reality. You could come up with a list eight miles long and it would, in terms of quantity, just completely destroy any argument you can come up with to actually get started. But I have this deep sense that the one reason to make something is bigger And more important and more true than that whole huge stack of reasons not to. And the argument I would give you is this idea of collective intelligence. If you go dive into what makes humans different than all the other species on the planet, why are we able to go to the moon? You know, why are we able to experience a surplus of food. Like what, all these things, how did this happen? And all the answers that you come up with are, you know, the posable thumb or tools or whatever. No, those things, other, other species have those things and weren't able to do what we were able to do. In fact, I don't know if you know, this thing freaking blows my mind. Humans have been around for like 200,000 years. We just have a very like 6,000 years of written history What were we doing in that time, man? I'm so fascinated. But for a long time, we existed without being who we are now. And who we are now is a result of something called collective intelligence. It's when we don't just have good ideas. We do them and we share them with others. That is the secret sauce. That is what makes us who we are. Yeah, there's a billion reasons not to create something. It might be bad. It might not be critically acclaimed. It might be panned on the internet. Whatever. There's a billion reasons not to make something, but they all pale in comparison to the fact that not doing so, that failing to show up and make will negate the very thing. That makes you you. That makes us us. And when I see people with this egotistical policing of who gets to create and how it gets to happen, and and these are the rules, and this is the and blah blah blah, I can see them planting the overthinking in people's heads as a means of gatekeeping, as a means of stopping people from getting started, and it breaks my freaking heart, man, because. Because this is who we are. This is what makes us great. And that, that just trumps every other reason. And so, if you're in a place where you're struggling to get started, you're, you're, you're struggling to make it a habit, let me give you 15 ideas, 15 prompts that may help you make something today. Let's do this. All right, we're just going to run through these 15. We might spend a little, might camp out a little longer on some of them than others. Uh, but here's just 15 prompts to get you started. The first one is do a sprint. Now, When I find myself overthinking making this podcast or making illustrations, what I force myself to do is to, if I'm having a hard time making one thing, I force myself to make three things. And I know that sounds really counterintuitive, but there's something about uh, this challenge of saying, okay, you're struggling to make a podcast this week. Now you got to make three podcasts and it's not a punishment. It's just this thing that says, okay, when you go in the recording room, you are going to have to make three podcasts. And what happens is it just forces me to cut the freaking crap. And I'll tell you this right now, some of the most popular episodes of this show came from these batch recording sprints. And so if you're having a hard time making one song, make three. That's your punishment from Dr. Pizza, not an actual doctor. But that, yeah, that always seems to help. And, and it makes you cut through the crap, makes you get to the bottom of like, what do I know about making songs? What do I know about making illustrations? What do I know that I've made that I know how to make a, that kind of thing again? It just causes you to get right into your expertise and quit trying to. You know, I have a strong feeling this, this idea from Christoph Niemann, uh, he, uh, he did a, um, I think it's a Ted talk or a 99 u talk. I'll, I'll link it up in the show notes. But Christoph Niemann talks about like being a pro isn't about making great work. It's about the ability to consistently show up and make good stuff. And so instead of trying to, you know, my head will get into this place where I'm like, i got to make a transcendent episode, man. And you can't do that on purpose. In fact, trying to do so, trying to force it is almost the antithesis. It's almost uh, making certain, certain that your head will not be in a space, in a free space in order to actually break into that elusive place where magic creative things happen but if I'm like I'm going to do three good episodes sometimes one of those threes crosses the finish line crosses the, over into the, that threshold into some transcendent stuff if I do say so myself I'm embarrassed but, but that, that's the key making good stuff I think that making consistent stuff bad good indifferent ugly whatever I think that's the key to every once in a while, tipping over into the transcendent. And sometimes you gotta, if you're if you're struggling to do one, make yourself do three. Number two, I want you to, oh no, kid picks it. Did anybody else grow up doing kid picks? Kid picks two, I think, was my jam. It's kind of like Photoshop for kids. I actually completely forgot about it, but I spent a huge part of my childhood noodling, drawing pictures on there and a bunch of sweet sound effects, the toolbars. And if you hit the undo button, it would tell you it's like all these different undo sounds. But the one I remember the most is, Oh no. <laughs> and, uh, and what I want you to do is I want you to, Oh no. at One of your pieces, <laughs> uh, uh, redo something that turned out worse than you thought it was going to take a piece of work that really disappointed you had an idea. You're like the idea is so good and the execution just fall the flat, fell flat. We talk a lot about on the show that Alfred Hitchcock definition of style of it's just self-plagiarism. It's just saying hey, remember when I lined up that shot of that doorway in the last movie? I really liked that. Let's just do that again. That is such a key to becoming great at your creative stuff. It's just stealing from yourself and, and getting better at it and changing it and tweaking it. And one of the easiest ways to make a piece that you really love is just take one of your old pieces that you're like It was so close and just redo it, just redo it again and release it that way. That has helped me a bunch of times. And, and it's actually really been an education of figuring out like, you know, there's something about, listen back to an old episode, I think it was episode 188. And, uh, we talk about, we meaning me, I talk about how it's easy to treat your career like a postcard when it's really a mural. And you can get all down in the details of everything being pixel perfect. But if you don't step back, like when you're making a mural and really take it all in, you're going to overwork that particular area. Not to mention that, you know, if you see murals online, they always look amazing. But when you see them in person, you're going to see all the mistakes. Like it's just the way it is. And so a mural doesn't need to be pixel perfect right zoomed in. And so... This is a perfect way to zoom out because that problem, the reason that piece turned out worse than you thought it was going to was probably that you were just too close up to it. Uh, And there's been so many times where I look back on a piece and it's so obvious to me why I started getting, you know, I was overthinking it. I started thinking, oh, you know, this is what illustrations really about this kind of thing. And I got to work this little element into there for this thing to be worthy when really it was just going to be a sweet T-shirt if I just let the idea speak for itself and just cut to the chase quickly. Or I just use a technique that I'm using now that I didn't have back then that has just made the stuff come out better, run it through that machine. Amazing things. Amazing things happen. I've been working on some t-shirts. I've been redoing some old t-shirts just with a new technique and been like, boom, love how this came out just by, oh, oh, no. (laughs) I hate that sound. I hate saying it. Oh, no, kid picks it. Oh, no. Number three is make some stuff. Uh, with the creative Ouija board. Okay, nobody turn this off. We're not talking about getting paranormal. It's not gonna be, we're not messing with the occult here. I'm just saying, you know, we talked, I talked to one of my all-time favorite musicians, Rostam, from, uh, formerly of, from the band Vampire Weekend, but also just amazing in his solo stuff and great producer. Go back and check that episode out. Big fan of that one. And, and he talked about how sometimes he'll just start noodling with an instrument with no plans. And I've thought about there's been some huge breakthroughs in my illustration practice when I go to the page with no idea in mind and there's a lot of illustrators that talk about thinking with your hands. It's a different type of thinking altogether. No preconceived notion, let the pencil find something. You know, just give yourself an hour, give yourself a 2 hours and just say, doesn't matter what I'm doing. I've got to be making this whole time, and I'm not gonna think about it. Give yourself some space to think with your hands and just like a Ouija board, just let the instrument move without any intention from your part and see what happens. Sometimes we get so locked up in the in our in our in our cerebellum. I don't really know if that's where it is. <laughs> but we get locked up in our brain, probably left side of our brain, um and, and, and we just overthink it. And you ever try to solve a creative problem without your instrument, without your pencil, without your paper, without your guitar? You ever just like going on a long walk and think, I'm going to figure it out? Sometimes that works. I actually like doing that. Um sometimes my creative stuff comes when I'm on a run, you know? But uh often the full Picture the full piece isn't going to really birth itself until I get that pencil on paper. So maybe if you're really locked up, you need a creative Ouija board session. Let the guitar write the song. And if you don't know what a creative, if you don't know what a Ouija board is, it's that thing you did that uh, your aunt Sandy was panicking about because she thought you opened a door to a different dimension and now the ghosts are coming for you. You know, I never played it. I was, Andy Sandy definitely still makes me kind of afraid of this whole thing, but it's basically that board game where there's letters on the board and you're moving that little uh, magnifying glass around and you're like, who's moving it? I'm not moving it. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Number four, this comes from Tim Ferris. He always talks about what if this were easy? You're going to write a book. Okay, don't think about, don't start with, what would this be like if it was perfect? What would this be like? How could I make the most transcendent best thing of all time? What would that be? That's how you, that's a surefire path to overthinking, Buster. Instead, think, what would this look like if it was easy? How could I write a book without it, with it being effortless? What would that look like? Start there. You know, think about What's the best thing I ever made in the shortest period of time? What if I only had uh, limited materials? I couldn't get hi-fi. I couldn't go over the top. I couldn't use all of my tricks. I could only use one thing and I could only work for two hours. What could I make? What's the best thing? What are my shortcuts? That's what I'm talking about. What are your shortcuts? What are your tricks up your sleeve on how to make something sound better than it is, look better than it is? Think about all that and just give yourself the shortest period of time you know you've made something that you're proud of in and then go execute on that. Use every single shortcut. Give yourself, give your damn self a break, man. Good Lord, do you have to put so much pressure on every single thing that you do? Give yourself a break. Quit giving yourself this ridiculous scrutiny, this art school kind of mach mas, mas, what is the word? Masochistic approach to creativity. Just good God, have a little fun. Use every shortcut you know. You know, we, we, we see this over and over through creative journeys, this breakthrough of saying, what would it look like if I just did what I knew was going to be good instead of overthinking it? You know, Saul Bass, this, you know, creative powerhouse in the design space, one of the greatest designers of all time, arguably, he said, you know, often the first impulse, that first idea, that's the best one, the most obvious one to you because what's so great about your creative brain is it's automatic behavior just what does it do so just give yourself a break give yourself a break give yourself permission to use those tools that you've developed and quit stacking the odds against yourself so what would this look like if it was easy Okay, number five is transcend time, man. Basically, this is like uh, me practicing what I preach and what I believe in, which is this—you know—the Niels Bohr quote. Uh, I think he's an astrophysicist who said the opposite of a profound truth might be another profound truth. I believe that, man. I'm not—I don't think all truth is relative, but I do think that uh, take up a few different perspectives can be really powerful and valuable so we talked about doing a piece do a piece of work do a song do do a piece of uh, illustration do a thing man well just try something I don't know what this weird voice is where you just take the fastest route the easiest route but let's take the opposite approach too let's do what's the hardest you could work on a thing and I believe this I believe there are albums where you're like man that was just a person with a guitar just pouring out whatever came to them. And that thing is good. And then there's the other side. There's stuff like, you know, Sufjan Stevens, Illinois, or uh, Kanye West, Dark Twisted Fantasy. That's meticulous. That's painstaking. And they're both good. Both profoundly true. Try both. There are times when, when I'm making some art, where I will, I will say... I'm not going to go past the sketch phase until this sketch is so tight that I am sure that it's going to turn out good. And that might mean taking a light box, redrawing every single nook and cranny until that thing is singing, right? Before I even touch it with color or digital or whatever, that takes sometimes that takes a long time you know i follow rick rubin on instagram that's a little tip for you go do that cuz he he posts a new kind of creative tip every day and then he deletes the one from yesterday so there's only ever one post on his instagram it's cool it's a fresh way to a, to to show up on instagram and i love it and he just talks a lot about on there about how time has nothing to do with it you know i get bogged down in this <sighs> You know, when he said, when he's saying that he's saying, you know, you might write an incredible song and it might take you 30 minutes, but you might also write an incredible song over 30 days. Like it, it, it just time is not one of the ingredients in creativity. You know, I think it, it bugs me so bad when I see artists just obsessing over being timely You know, just, just trying so hard to hit exactly the right time and culture. It'll just like pop off and just chasing that man. And it bums me out because I feel like we got into this thing, not to be timely, but to, to lose ourselves, to transcend time, to, to, to create in the flow state when things go timeless, when we lose track of time. Remember when you created like that? Instead of always trying to show up exact right moment, what would it look like to transcend time by just saying, I don't care if this thing is going to be consumed in three seconds on Instagram. I'm, or I don't care if this, this 50 hours turns into one hour on a podcast. I'm going to do an episode where I am going to overwork it. I am going to take another pass at it. I am going to record it and re-record it and rewrite it that practice in itself sometimes that stuff turns into the most incredible masterpieces sometimes it's just an exercise of learning and you it's this idea i call it the, the creative slingshot where you know if you take a slingshot and you say what's the one thing what's what's a slingshot all about well it's about when you let go and it's just boom and the thing flies out the rock just flies out but of course a slingshot's not about one thing. Nothing is. It's always a process. There's always seasons. There's always, right now you're focusing on pulling back intention. And then there's a season of letting go. There's a time for making an easy piece. There's a time for making a hard piece. They're all part of it. And and the creative slingshot means sometimes you got to hold on through the tension as you're making stuff before that thing really takes off. That's the slingshot. So what would it look like for you to give yourself permission to spend a ridiculous amount of time, an unnecessary amount of time, an amount of time that will, on that particular piece, never really be worth it. And, and, And just say, I'm going to transcend time. I'm going to go beyond what it's worth it, because in the long run, it will be, you know. Talking to my buddy uh, Kyle Sheely, one of my close friends and collaborators, and we were—he was telling me that, you know, he was watching this documentary on magic, and that they said that, you know, lots of magic tricks. Basically, the trick is everything just takes way more time than you ever would have thought. You know, them giving finding your card meant buying fifty-two packs of cards and replacing every card with the same card and hiding one in their shoe and da 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 da. All this stuff, right? And the point is like. Making things look easy is really hard, that idea, right? And so sometimes you've got to, you know, there's so many pieces of work that I have that I'm like, man, boom, that's it. And it's just, the, what, yeah, it might have taken me five seconds to execute that. This is a Picasso thing of, uh, you know, he's making these, I don't even know if this is a real story, but I heard it once. And he's making these quick drawings for a hundred bucks a pop. And the guy's like, how am I going to, why am I going to spend hundred dollars on this thing that took you five seconds and he's like that drawing took me my entire life to know how to make that's that's what transcending time is all about that's what it means to waste time on a piece and try to get it just right all right number six is just da 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 it Instead of just do it, it's just da-da-da. It. What does that mean? It's a song, da-da-da. It's by the police. And the police wrote that song, making fun of all of these, I think, 80s songs where their title, their 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 chorus was nonsense words. And they're like, oh, it's so stupid. It's so easy to do. Watch, I'll do one. And they did it, and it was a hit. And that is the story. Was so, there, There's something about, I think... When you allow yourself to make fun of yourself, when, when you allow yourself to go the easy route, when you allow yourself to get rid of the critics by trying to make something bad, there's something that you're free and you make something cool. You know, MGMT, that band that made the song Kids and, and Time to Pretend and, and Electric Feel and a bunch of other great stuff after that, actually, but those are their big hits from their first album. That whole band was cliches, jokes and parody. These were, they were pretending to be rock stars at their college, making these songs. They were talking about all of the tropes of being a rock star and making fun of it, but embodying it with those songs. And then when they got signed, they started to take themselves seriously. And and I, and although I like a lot of stuff that came after, I just wonder what would it look like if they allowed themselves to continue to make quote unquote bad stuff. To just da da it. What would you look like if you said, you know what's so lame and what's so trendy, what's so you know on the nose of in my world right now? What would it look like if you just gave your permission, yourself permission to do it? Sometimes you're making fun of it as an act of projection because you secretly like that stuff, man. Okay, what would that look like? Reminds me of Mindy Kaling. Also, one of her early projects that were what was key in her creative journey was. She did a whole play where her and her friend played Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Uh, I think they were working on *Goodwill Hunting*. Um, and it's just, what would it look like to just be a parody of your own tastes? If it's so obvious, why don't you try it? Give it a shot. You never know. We've talked about it on this show before. There's another good example of this is um, *Truly Madly Deeply* by uh savage garden you might have heard of them uh that song came from them sending in their record and their record label being like there's no hits on this thing and they're like oh you want to hit watch the sappiest dumbest stupid thing and they started writing it and it made themselves cry making that song and it becomes this huge thing and and and, and so what would it look like if you just quit thinking about it and just die died die it? Okay, number seven is fill up the tank. If you're struggling to make anything, it might be because you got nothing left inside. You're not inspired. You're not excited. You're not motivated. You forget why you loved this thing in the first place. You know, I heard, uh, you know, starting out as an illustrator, I was a big fan of Jessica Hesch. She's a a lettering artist. Um, And one of the things she said Uh, that just like really clicked for me. She said, you know, sometimes when she gets stuck, she'll just go look at lettering books and it won't even be to be like, oh, I'm going to do that or, you know, to really take any direct inspiration, but just kind of remember. I think it's just kind of calibrates your taste a little bit, but more than anything, it fills up your tank. It gives you a reason to create. It's like, oh yeah, I remember why I like this stuff. And if I start struggling to know what to make, I'll do that. I'll go look at my saved uh, illustrations and liked posts on Instagram and in my Pinterest boards and I'll go back to my all time favorites and I'll just start soaking it up and filling up the tank and ultimately refuse to make something until you fall in love again is such a powerful process for me. And so if you're having a hard time making a new piece, maybe it's because you just don't give a crap anymore and you forget why you cared in the first place and it's time to go back to your first love again and remember why you are doing this. And as you go, Voices are going to get in your head in your creative journey. People are going to say, you can't be inspired by others. Or they're going to say, you, you know, you, real creatives cease being fans at some point And, you know, they don't, they only like their own work. I think there's some truth to that. There's, you know, whatever there's, you know, every, every good lie contains a nugget of truth. Right. And so those things will get in your head. But ultimately, even if you never, you'll probably never go back to the start where you were just enamored as a super person and you just start, you might never be salivating at the mouth at some of this stuff the way you did at the start but you gotta remember, you know, that's infatuation, this is like a real love story right, there's a chemical thing that happens when you're first in love but the thing that remains baby, that's the good stuff and you can even forget that and you know, I was telling the story of um, how me and my wife fell in love, Sophie and I Oh my gosh, we fell head over heels. It is just, I was swept away when we started dating. And we would give each other a hug and just be like, oh, just like, uh, it was just incredible. And when I retell that story, I start tearing up. And it reminds me, this is my person, man. Because it's easy to forget when you're paying the bills and you're taking the kids to swimming lessons. Like, come on, you got to remember those early days serving Subway sandwiches. That's just my particular story because we met at Subway. But it's, it's so helpful to remember. Remember that that love and remember what this thing is built on. And so if you're feeling empty, if you're struggling, you might need to remember why you're doing this, refuse to make something until you feel that internal spark of like, not just like, Oh yeah, I kind of like that, but like, yeah, this is what this art form can do. This is what it's about. And, and remember what it felt like to be just a consumer. That gets me jazzed, man, thinking about those first band posters that just lit me on fire and I thought that gave Andy something to live for he was and I have the potential to participate in that what a glorious endeavor that is what a great reason to go back to the page and make something again and until you feel that sometimes you got to say I'm not making anything till I remember why I make it all Number eight is sometimes you need to just come, you need to come at it from a different perspective. Search for a new philosophy within your realm. Just go find some other people's philosophy on what it means to and how the mechanics of how to get to great creative work. You know, one of my favorite stories is um, I'm a big fan of Deltron, Deltron Zero, Deltron 3030, Del the Funky Homo sapien. If you don't know, He's a rapper. He was alternative rapper. You know, a lot of the kind of indie rap and and the stuff that's happening now, I don't think it would have been possible without Dell. And I was crazy about his stuff in high school. Um, You know, he created this album, Deltron 3030. It's a concept album with, uh, I think, Kid Koala and Dan the Automator. And it's about a rapper from the future, from the year 3030. And he's addressing all these problems that are happening then, and, of course, they're all a result of what we're doing now. So they're all commentary on, you know, of what's going on. It's, oh, man, it's so freaking good. Highly recommend it if you're a rap fan um, and you haven't heard it it's so good. But you probably do know Dell. He uh, was the rapper in the first big Gorillas hit, Clint Eastwood. Uh, and I love the story of that because he wrote that song after reading a book about how to make a pop hit. And I just thought, you know, that probably didn't work over and over and over for him, but just a fresh perspective, even if it's a cliche one, even if it's, you know, surface level, whatever it is, what would it look like to find a new way in? So read a book for dummies on design, read a book for dummies on filmmaking. You never know what little thing could spark it, you know? Uh, Dave Chappelle talks about, I've heard him say this story a few times, this idea that, you know, he was in a random pitch meeting talking about potential movies. And he said, yeah, we've got this idea for this movie all about, uh, weed. And they're like, let's do that. And he left and he's like, crap, I don't have a movie on weed. I just, (laughs) just talking crap in the moment. And then him and Neil Brennan had to go figure out how does one write a movie And they read the book, The Writer's Journey, by Christopher Vogler, and they used that hero's journey structure to create the movie Half-Baked. That's where it came from. Recently, I've been, you know, I got frustrated with illustration, you know. I'm a cerebral guy. I like thinking. I like ideas. And, and, you know, sometimes I, I feel like illustration can be wanting. It can be really hard to make something that visually uh, it's very hard to make something aesthetically pleasing, really good taste, like fills me up and at the same time has an idea that really hits home or is next level. It's almost impossible for me. Like most illustration that is too cerebral, it just it, it ceases to be something I like. And so I've been frustrated with that because when my in my storytelling, in my podcasts, kids' books, all that, I am there's a satisfaction that comes in the ideas and, and the depth of that that I can't often put into one illustration. So I've been, you know, I've hit a block with that. And recently I've I've started to try something different, which is come at it through the lens of Carl Jung's approach to symbolism. You know, I've, I've listened to tons of videos on YouTube about Carl Jung. I've been consuming that stuff for a long time. I find it hard to read the books, but I've, I've consumed so many things around it. Huge young fan. Um, that's just me overthinking this overthinking series. I told you, you know, usually I'd say that I'd rewind it and I'd cut it out. Cause I'd be like, they don't need to know that man. You're just overdoing it. Yes. You're not a Jungian analyst with a PhD, but it doesn't mean you're not a fan and so, but I'm leaving it in to show you my overthinking. But, you know, he talks a lot about symbolism and he talks a lot about how dreams, you know, there's a lot of people that feel frustrated by dreams because it's your subconscious, more or less writing a poem to your conscious mind of like, it is as if you are losing your teeth and you're like, just tell me what it is, man. But Carl Jung would be like, no, it can't tell you. It's just like a story. It, It needs you to not just know what it is. It needs you to feel what it is. And the best way to make you feel it is a metaphor. That's how you're going to feel it. And, And that's through the work of symbolism. You can say things with a picture that you cannot say. You can evoke things with even just as simple as something as like a picture of a lion. It tells you so much. We have so many words and thoughts poured into that symbol. It means something to us. In our particular time, space, culture, in the collective consci- conscious, it means something. And so I've been thinking less about like getting super cerebral. And if I want to talk about, uh, okay, this is like a, um, the, I, I, in this episode, we're going to talk about, um a, a, the secret behind doing this thing. I think, well, what, what are some symbols for secrets like treasure? Uh, and I'm just going to make something about with a, with a treasure chest in it. Uh, you know, I was making something the other day and I was thinking about potential. What's a symbol of potential? An acorn because it has this tr- a tremendous potential. We know it contains this whole thing. And so I start there and I start working from those kind of places, animal symbolism, I've been reading. If I think, oh, I want to talk about um, this particular subject, I'll just search for animal symbolism around blank, and I'm like, that's what I'm going to create from. I had a, uh, an animal symbolism from camouflage because I wanted to talk about the the hidden art behind the art, the thing that's hiding, the 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 potential that's hiding. So I thought, oh, it's kind of like camouflage, and one thing, one of the things that came up was a snake. Snakes can be really good at camouflage. And I started drawing a snake in camouflage for one of the recent episodes uh, just to use symbolism, not to beat the idea over the head, but to use the power of an intuitive picture that says so much that you don't even articulate in your brain, but you feel. And so all of that might be total bullcrap But it's a different angle, and it's been jazzing me up, and it's kept me from overthinking and making stuff that I'm pumped about. Okay, number nine is sing a different way, and you're going to do this by doing a cover song, even if you don't do music. Now, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know this, that you can make a cover song without any permission, from the artist. You have to pay them royalties and there's a certain framework for how to do that. If you're a musician, you actually want to do that. I'm going to put a link in the bio in the bio. I'm going to put a link on the show notes about legally releasing cover songs to if you want to know that process, but I actually think anybody can learn from this. So if you're stuck, what would it look like for you to create something in your style, to create a cover song of one of your favorite things? And this is super powerful for a bunch of different reasons. Yes, it's just something to get you going, but also I heard the most interesting thing. So I'm a huge fan of the band Waxahachie, Katie Crutchfield, her album. I've been a fan for a long time. You've probably heard me talk about it, this on the show, but one of my favorite albums ever, it's hard for me to even think of an album that I love as much as this, is the album St. Cloud, which Waxahachie released, uh, I believe, in 2020. And we have just had that thing on repeat. And actually, i just give you a little personal tip. She, she released a version with three extra songs that are all cover songs. Um, one, I think it's Lucinda Williams. One of them is a Dolly Parton cover, which just made my wife and I weep. It's so freaking good. And one is a Bruce Springsteen cover, um, "The Streets of Philadelphia. What a song. Um, The cover is fantastic. But the reason I'm telling you this is because I heard, I was doing some research, and I heard Katie from the band say that this album is so different as a result of some cover songs that she did a few years back with her boyfriend. And uh, and it, and and she said that she covered these Jason Molina songs, and it forced her to sing in a way that she didn't even know she could do. And I was like, "This is amazing!" Because every time, so many times, we were listening to this album with my wife. I'm like, "I've never heard her sing like this." And we watched her do a virtual show, and 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 she was doing these shows where she was singing every song from uh, each album and she'd do an album at a time. And, you know, comparing, listening to her do uh, one of the earlier songs before St. Cloud and then watching her sing the St. Cloud songs, you're like, her face is doing different things because she's singing so differently. And she said in an interview, she learned that she could sing like that by doing a cover song. And it's kind of similar to that new philosophy thing. It it reminds me of... uh, Hunter S. Thompson rewriting The Great Gatsby, just rewriting and feeling, oh, this is what it feels like to write a masterpiece. These are the mechanics. This is, this is how it feels to speak in that voice. And it and, and doesn't mean you're going to go out and make Jason Molina songs. It just means it might open up a part of yourself that you never would have seen. There were so many moments in my illustration practice where I tried to draw in a way that I never had. Huge pivots can happen. Little micro pivots can happen. But ultimately, you know what's going to happen. You're going to make something. And that's what this is all about. Okay, we're on to number 10. We're getting, I'm getting, woo, I'm jazzing it up. Cause we're, it's a long list and I just need to, woo, get to the, the jazz. All right. You feeling it? Let's get back into the groove. Number 10. I just ate a burrito, a small burrito, nothing crazy, microwave burrito, and I'm having a, a coffee to, to, get, to get re-jazzed. So we're getting jazzed. <laughs> Number 10. Just tell the boring, simple truth. Just tell it exactly like it is. Quit trying to make art and just tell the truth. Tell us exactly how it happened with a piece of work. One of my all-time favorite albums of all times is Sufjan Stevens' uh, Carrie and Lowell. And it was about uh, his mom passing away. And, you know, it's... You know, it's very, very romantic in the way that, you know, that you can hear the fan in the recording. He's just recording this, like, stripped back thing, you know, very unplugged kind of thing. But it really just is so powerful. And he said, I tried to make an album where I wasn't making art out of it. Like, this was a real thing that happened to me. My mom passed away, and his relationship to his mom it's very similar to my relationship to my mom, so I extra feel it. But he said, I didn't try to make art. It was, it was too important to turn into art, you know, with a capital A, and try to, here's a poem to say, this is how I felt, or whatever. You know, there's a song by Mount Erie called Real Death, and it was about, he lost a, a partner to cancer. And it, it is the most moving song and there is no metaphor it is just brutal honesty you know I'm a one of my favorite albums is this album Benji by Sun Kill Moon I do want to just note that um, I haven't listened to it since allegations came out about him that are extremely dicey and I don't really know what to do with any of that and I you know might find it hard to enjoy any of his work anymore but That album, Benji, is just the most explicit slice of life, exactly on the nose, exactly how it happened. And the thing that's so interesting about this is if you'll make a comic, if you'll make a piece of work, if you'll make a a song, if you'll make a short film about just no art, no... You know, I want to put a caveat on it. I'm not saying... (laughs) I keep saying, no art, and then I'm going to say, but let art... But some art. No, what I mean is no intentional art. Go in with the intention to tell the truth as it is. But as you tell it, art may just present itself. You know, often with a story on the podcast, I will go into writing that story just with the facts. And I'll write it long form out and just slowly Art will happen. I'll start seeing now oh, this is a metaphor for this. This language, you know, lends itself to two things. It's kind of an analogy. It's kind of a metaphor. Like uh, there's something poetic about this and let's bring that back full circle. And But I'll let it happen from, it'll spring forth from the truth rather than go in trying to force art. And I've just found that if I will start my piece or the post I make or whatever with that in mind with the truth in mind. And and I'll just do that. You've heard me talk about this mantra kind of thing of, you know, what do I want to say? What do I want to say? And before I record an episode of the show, before I, I make something before whatever, I will do a priming exercise. Well, I will go back to what is the nugget here that I am dead certain about, or I am dead passionate about. And I will build on that. I'll create from that place. And one of the ways to do it is just tell it exactly the boring, simple facts at first and then see what springs to life. That's so, it's such a good, low uh, bar. It's such a uh, a weak point of entry into the creative process. It's like, I'm not going to, I don't have to do anything special. All I have to do is tell the truth. Tell exactly what happened. You'd be surprised what happens when you do that. See? I didn't even plan that. I was just telling the truth. If you let it happen, you'd be surprised by what could happen. Is that art? Anyway, number 11. Let's go. Number 11, just embody the gift. Embody the gift. Uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of Jim Carrey. He's been a big part of my creative, you know, journey. And one of the things I heard him say is that, you know, Ace Ventura and most of his persona came from embodying the gift that he wanted to give. So he wanted to make his audience feel the lightness of being free of concern. That's what happens when you laugh. When you laugh, you just let go of, you can't hold laughing and being concerned at the same time. And he used to do that for his family who had these hard times. He would do these ridiculous things like, fall down the stairs when his friend, when his parents had friends over and they'd be like, Oh my gosh. And then he'd stop while on the floor and say, let's see that in an instant replay and go and do it all over again. And he didn't really find his persona until he realized I will embody characters that are free of concern. Now, Mentioned that on the podcast before, but I want to give you a layer that freaking blew my socks off recently. I was reading about this idea of mirror neurons. It's these brain cells in your brain that uh, experience things both by performing an action, you know, going through an experience, and by watching it. So just watching somebody else go through something, and it is like for those brain cells, that part of you, like you yourself are experiencing it. That's what happens when we watch a movie. That's why we live vicariously through the characters on screen. It's those mirror neurons. They're sensitive. It's almost like you're going through it. And it's the basis of empathy. And so how do you want them to feel? If I want you to be pepped up, I got to show up here pepped up, man. And, and, you know, you don't have to, I'm not talking about being fake. I get myself not... You know, I like this thing. Um, I don't remember. I can't find where this quote comes from, but I thought it was Ian McKellen that said, you know, actors don't pretend to feel feelings. They feel feelings on command. You know, I like, you know, and sometimes that, that, ha- that means they have to find a truth. They have to find a way in. They have to find a memory. So when I'm doing this podcast, not every episode's about being pepped actually, but a lot of them are. I want you to feel what it feels like to be pepped out of your mind and your mirror neurons just by proximity, are going to feel that experience and it's going to catch on. You know, my daughter, she's been into this Matt Tarpley thing called Cat's Cafe. It's a comic for like, I mean, it's for anybody, but it especially appeals to her and probably teens, tweens. And, and she's shown it to me and she's just, I can tell this thing is medicine for her. And I'm reading through them and I'm like, man, these are, first of all, brilliant but there's a simplicity here in the kind of hijacking of your brain through mirror neurons. If they want, they'll do a comic, Matt will do a comic where it's like, you know, this character's freaking out, over anxious about something silly. And a character just, the end of the comic is just another character hugging them saying, I got you. There's no cerebral giant punchline. All it is, is it's hijacking the part of your brain that mirrors the experience. He put, he just draws these simple animals on a page and it makes you feel like you got a hug. That's amazing, man. Just try that instead of trying to do this transcendent crazy flip in the air with your creativity and transcend all time and space. What if you just said, you know what? I'd like you to feel happy. So I'm going to draw a happy person. Give it a shot. Give it a, try to embody the gift that you want them to receive in the actual piece itself. Number 12 is find yourself in the ingredients. And this is, you know, inspired by a chef who, he has this signature dish and he gets interviewed. You know, where did you come up with this incredible flavor profile? And he says, I found myself in the ingredients in the cinnamon, the at first blush bite when in reality underneath there's a softness that carries the entire, okay. This whole thing is a joke. Uh, this isn't a real one. I just came up with this character. I realized like, all of my characters and a lot of my humor is kind of anti just the toxic masculinity. I realized that I heard PD USA on TikTok. Huge fan. Great musician. Great songs. Lean into life. Big fan of that song. Uh, he talked about that. That I I so I'm such a huge fan and there's something I just soap or relate to. And I realized it's that he said he all of his stuff is a lot of his stuff is like anti toxic masculinity. And I thought, boom, so many characters that I come up with are. Uh, embodying some toxic man who thinks he knows everything, who thinks he's got the depths of of reality under his fingertips, and and I came up with this idea for a chef who who, who talks about finding himself in the ingredients. Maybe that's something. Maybe. Uh, no, it's nothing. That, forget it. Twelve's nothing. Move on. All right, 13's a real one uh, that I I really like. And it's same lyrics, new melody, okay? Uh, Again, I'm a big believer in this kind of idea. I've heard it recommended as a writer. Instead of emptying yourself out at the end of the day and, you know, writing until you just cannot write anymore, get to the point in your writing where you're like, oh, the next part that I'm about to write is so good, and then stop right there because it means it is going to be such an easy point of entry tomorrow because you already know what you're going to say. You're already excited about it. You're going to be chomping at the bit to get back to the typewriter, right? So quit while you're ahead. And that's what I'm all about on this. You know, when it comes to forming a creative habit, when it comes to a creative journey, when it comes to showing up and being good over and over and over in such a way that you have not just an act, but a practice, A big part of that, man, is repeating yourself. It is building on what you already have going for you and letting that help snowball into the next thing so that you never lose momentum. I heard Brian Henson, uh, Jim Henson's son, talk about how they were all about, you know, Jim was all about not repeating himself. And I do know exactly what he meant by that because Jim was crazy about technology. He's always trying to do new things. But then I also thought there's another side to that truth where they repeated themselves over and over and over again. They use the same characters. They built on techniques. They, they, they use similar processes. You know, the whole Muppet cast was cherry picked those characters from their best things, the best specials and commercials that they've done to date. And I actually really, really believe in how do you just rip yourself off and let it snowball into the next thing? And that's what this thing is, Same Lyrics, New Melody. And what I meant by that, there's a book by Brian Ray. He was on the podcast, huge fan, loved that episode. He had a book come out called Avoid This. And Avoid This was... The, the lyrics to his illustrations. He had a whole book of illustrations where the caption was, every single one was avoid this. So it had the same lyrics, different melody, same caption, different illustration, and he just took that as a creative prompt of how many pictures can I draw through the lens of you should avoid doing this thing. You know, it's, it's people that are letting their arm hair drape on somebody else on the subway, or it's, you know, someone going up a, a mountain on one of those. I'd never skied before on a ski lift. That's what it's called. Ski lift. I just started, I had to start saying it and it just happened. Ski lift. And, uh, and they're going up on, but they're sat next to the grim reaper. You want to avoid that. And, and also, you know, there's two things that are great about this. One, it's a great creative prompt in its own right. The other thing is Pick the right lyrics. You know, go back to a a caption or or a lyric that you're like, that, that's me, man. And and Brian was talking about like avoid this. Like, that's his sense of humor. That's an idea he's always thought about. He's always kind of like noticed and 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 observes and catalogs when he sees things where it's like, you really shouldn't do that. And and so make sure it taps into some of your automatic behavior, some of the way that your brain just works. And you know, I always loved like growing up listening to Bone Thugs and Harmony, where they would reference a previous song in a different song. And I'm like, that Leonardo DiCaprio meme, have you seen it from I believe it's the um once upon a time in Hollywood where he's pointing at the TV? And it's like, oh, man, you know, like uh, I'll be pointing at that Bone Thugs and Harmony song being like, oh, they're referencing the other song. I got There it is. And one of my favorite uh, bands to do this is 1975. They constantly reference old lyrics. There's a whole song where they're basically refuting things that they said in previous songs. Love it. That's so good for your super fans also. They love to be that deep where they're noticing the stuff and you're playing to them. Vampire Weekend's done it. I've heard it a bunch of times. But go back. Go find some piece. It doesn't have to be a caption or words or anything, but just find something that just nailed you and be like, how can I just riff on this four or five more times? Okay, number 14 is play through the pain. Now, I just want to start by saying there's an art to knowing the difference between an injury and a bad run, a run that's just not fun. Like, I run every other day, for the most part. I keep that habit. And there are runs that are just like, I'm not feeling it. My breathing just doesn't feel good. My legs are kind of tired, you know, all that stuff, but I'm not developing an injury. And it's really important to know the difference because, and you feel something, you're like, oh, this is the start of an injury. You do need to stop. But when it's just not fun that day, but this is your creative habit, I have a strong feeling that you need to play through that pain. There are so many breakthroughs that I've had by pushing through, even when it wasn't fun anymore, even when I was lost, even when I was like, man, I just want to go home. Like there are times when pushing through the pain, playing through the pain, play, playing while it's painful is a heck of a hard thing to do, but the effort is useful When it's needed at the right time. Now. Here's what this looks like practically. For me, it practically looks kind of like morning pages. This idea developed by Julia Cameron where the idea is essentially you wake up and you write three pages of long-form writing on paper and you start writing and you just don't stop until you've reached the end. And it doesn't matter if you write, I hate writing, I hate writing, I hate writing. The only thing that matters is that you get to the end of that third page. And there's something about the discipline of the habit. There's something about uh, how habits eliminate the thinking of the creative process. And there's something about pushing through that initial uh, resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about so often. I, I do not know. I do not claim to know what it is in the universe that is resisting. I don't know if it's a part of our brain. I don't know if it's just an equal force that that's coming out here that, you know, is just the opposite of the impulse to create. But there is a resistance and I feel it all the time. I feel the thing that's trying to keep me from sitting my butt in the chair and make it, make stuff. And I have found that there are times when the run is just not fun and you got to run anyway. Now, I want to balance that out with, there are times when there's actual burnout, there's actual injury, there are times when you need to put yourself above your art, you need to know there's a time for rest and there's a time to give up. You know, one of the things that I found so interesting, it was very inspiring to me as I was looking back through my Instagram over time, back several years, and I just noticed like, ah, this little section right here in 2018, man... I was just right smack dab into the middle of the creative energy. I was right where I needed to be. What was going on at that time? I'd taken almost four weeks off doing a trip uh, to my, my in-laws in England, which, you know, there's a an enormous amount of my career when I could not afford to do that. and And I'm very lucky and privileged to have that experience. But it was so interesting to see the correlation of that uh stopping and resting has always correlated with breakthrough and we just came back from a trip from portland and i had been grieving you know guys y'all i have lost an opportunity that was one of the most if you guys have if if you all have listened all the way through you have probably heard me talk about this dream opportunity in a vague sense And we were right ready to sign contracts and it was two years in the making and they decided to walk away and it was beyond anything Uh, and and it was so connected to my favorite things beyond anything I'd ever imagined. And it fell through a few months ago and I've just been grieving. My whole creative path just didn't make any sense anymore. And you know, I kept showing up, but part of my heart was just broken. And, you know, I, I I forced myself to feel the feelings, to grieve it, to process it and let it take its time. And I've been working through that. But it wasn't until Portland, where I stepped away. Me and my wife went there without kids, just saw friends, had some food, all that stuff. It wasn't until I really let go that I came back fresh on the path, on the pulse. And so, yes, hear me out. I'm saying there's a time to play through the pain, but there's also a time to rest. And I just want to encourage you today, if creativity is no longer fun, see what happens when you play through that pain. See what happens when you show up when you don't want to. There is a, I feel like creativity, the energy honors that kind of discipline i don't know what that is i don't i don't claim to know but i think there's a time to know the difference between an injury and 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 just a struggle and i actually think all that struggle is a big part of the creative process all right the last one is a bit serious and uh it's not really my place to tell you what to do but and I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I am going to just encourage you because it's been a part of my truth. And I just, sometimes I feel guilty not sharing this part because it's been such an enormous part of my creative progress. And so number 15 is change your art by changing your life. I'm not preaching to you. I'm not telling you what to do, but I am just saying that for me, Sometimes the biggest leaps in my creative work has been catalyzed by big leaps in my personal life. And there were a bunch of changes right when I was like 18 before I started this whole thing that I made that made it possible for me to have good creative habits. And you know, circling back to Waxahachie, St. Cloud is a record that is kind of dubbed her getting sober record and the goodness and the life in it is just palatable. And I've, you know, found, I'm not, I don't consider myself sober. I'm not, uh, I'm sober right now, but I'm not in recovery. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but a lot of my favorite creators are sober. People like Russell Brand, people like Noah Camp, who's on our artist management agency, Colu. And these are people who if you ask them, I have a strong suspicion that they would tell you that the number one secret sauce to their creative success is personal wins. And there were times in my life where I couldn't knock another domino over creatively until I dealt with the domino in front of me, which was a personal thing. And to make this a little bit more fun and creative and not so stuffy, I just want to bring it to my buddy Go Shrimp who was the original background designer on Adventure Time. And uh, I've told this story on the podcast before where he decided to live in the outdoors and build himself a shelter and live out there with his dog. And that life experience led to the fort that he designed on Adventure Time for uh, Finn and his dog Jake. And life mimicked or art mimicked his life. And he said he actually goes and pursues experiences like that because he realized that art comes from life. And so if you want great art, you got to have a great life. If you want your art to be original, you've got to have an original life. And my mind just freaking exploded and melted straight onto the woodland floor as he told me that when we were out there camping. And I just want to encourage you to just make the connection. Your art is deeply pouring from your life. And I'm not here to tell you right or wrong or what to change or what to start or where to, what to experience. But I am here to encourage you that there is a significant link between these things. And if you have things in your life that you know are holding your creativity back, You know, real stumbling blocks, not just, you know, imperfections. You know, it's not making a a great body of work is not about living a perfect life. I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes in my life, I've had these huge, huge distractions in my life that I've had to eliminate at least for a season to have a creative breakthrough because this connection is very real. And in fact, there's this whole holistic interconnected way that I approach creativity with that has everything to do with everything, all parts, my body, mind, you know, before I make a podcast, I almost always make that a running day because my body exercising connects to the endorphins in my mind and the. Mind is where the creativity stuff happens and there's a, even a cyclical thing that happens where my creativity influences what I do in my body and the heart, mind, body, spirit, all of those things are interconnected. And if you have one of them that are really out of whack, it is going to impact your creativity. And I actually think, you know, we have this giant mythology around the suffering artist and, and the tragic artist. And I just often wonder what it would have looked like if those people would have prioritized their mental health first or their physical health first. You know, who know? We don't know. Maybe that would have, maybe that would have take their, taken their creations to a whole other level that we can only imagine. And so. Like I said, I'm not here to preach at you, but I am here to just nudge you and say, all these things are connected. And uh, some of my biggest creative breakthroughs were first and foremost, personal breakthroughs. Was it too serious? Did we get, was it too much on there? I'm sorry. Crusty uncle pizza sat you down for an intervention and said, you gotta quit eating all those Doritos at midnight, man. It's making your art, your art suffering. It's got cheese dust all over your pictures. No one will buy them. They're like, wait, is that a, is this a procreate brush? Cheese dust. Oh man. Sorry. Sorry about that. Uh. I'm just sorry, just generally. I don't know. I didn't know where to end it after that. Love you guys. Uh, love y'all. Love all yous, all the people. <sighs> anyway, um, I don't really know how to go from the cheese dust procreate <laughs> to the outro. I'm in a mood. I don't know. Okay. Yo, did you know that Creative Pep Talk is part of a podcast network that I co-created with CoLoop, the CoLoop Podcast Network. It's a it's a it's a collection of creative podcasts that are designed to fuel your creativity. Go check it out co-podcast.co and never miss an episode of this podcast by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com/newsletter. You'll receive an email each week when a new episode drops plus You'll get instant access to the whole back catalog, episodes one through 199. Thanks to Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our podcast soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Pizza and Ryan Appleton for content assistance. Thanks to Connor Jones and Pending Beautiful, his company for the editing. We love you, And thanks to all of you. Don't forget to stay pepped up.